Well, welcome. Um, if I, I, it is Happy New Year, and I, I felt like it wasn't because we met last week, but that was New Year's Eve. So technically, this is our first Sunday of 2024. So Happy New Year to everyone. Uh, anybody make it past 12? Raise your hand. Okay. Do we have any one o'clock? Two? Three? Do we have three anywhere? Oh, three? All the way in the back? Four? Do we have four? Four. Oh, man. Graveyard shift? Just couldn't sleep that night. All right, there we go. We have a winner, two winners back there. I have nothing for you. I forgot food today, so I'm sorry. Uh, my name is Adam, and I'm a recovering non-reader of the Word of God, and, uh, and, uh, and also a recovering non-applier of the Word of God. And uh, God is continually reminding me about the significance of being in His Word regularly, and keeping that as a regular part of my life to sit quiet, which it can be hard to find quiet places in life, and to read, and then go beyond the reading to reflect, and then go beyond the reading to going, how do I live this out with my family, the people I live with, the people I live next to, the people I work with, uh, my neighbors, strangers, whoever I come uh, around. So I want to welcome everybody to our best seller series. This is part two. And uh, this series is all about the Bible. And uh, the Bible is a small library of books. We tend to think of it as a book, but it's, it actually is a library of books that is filled with different kinds of literature from narrative to prose discourse to poetry. It's filled with all those kinds of things. Um, it was written over a span of a thousand years by 40 different authors in two different languages. It's been translated into over 700 languages now, and it has been print and sold over 5 billion times. There is no book like it in circulation. There is no book like it in its survival. And there is no book quite like it in its ability to change someone's life. And as we were putting together this series, we thought it just might be the most sold, most read, but least understood book ever. And uh, some of the reasons why the Bible could be misunderstood is because people kind of in a position like I'm in, pastors or Christian leaders, um, sometimes misuse it. Um, some people have taken the Word of God and kind of bludgeoned others with it with condemnation. Okay, uh, Others have taken the word of God and tried to leverage it to gain control and manipulation over others. Sadly, for thousands of years, men have been using the word of God to do things just like that, and we would call these people hypocrites. Uh, and I'm Adam, and I'm a hypocrite too. I don't always live up to God's standards, but if you were just to take God's standards out, I don't always live up to mine. Have you ever just not lived up to your own? You're like, this is how a person should talk, and a person should not do this, or gossip about that, and then you find yourself doing that? Yeah, I've been there. I'm willing to uh, own that I've been a hypocrite many times, but God continues to walk with me. He continues to renew my mind. He continues to confront my fears, because I have lots of them. Um, and he keeps healing my wounds and walking me through my mistakes. And I am so forever grateful. 
I don't want to be a hypocrite. It's not a goal. It's not a desire. But I do do that. I do, I do fall short. I do mess up. And I'm so thankful that God has given me people in my life that remain with me to help me when I do that. And I have my creator, my heavenly father, who's with me when I do those things as well. So the Bible could be hard to understand because of how some people use it. Um, another reason why the Bible can be hard to understand is because according to Barna Research, only about a third of Christian adults read it once to twice a week. So think about that. About only one third of Christian adults will read their Bible once or twice a week, with about 50% of Christians in America reading it once, and twi- once or twice a year or not at all. So it can be really hard to understand something that we're just flat out ignoring and neglecting, right? It is difficult uh, for a, uh, to come on a Sunday or come two Sundays a month, hear someone give a little message and really start to understand something if we're not partaking of God's word throughout the week. So that's a real thing. And I would also say there's one more big reason why the Bible can be hard to understand is because there's just things in the Bible that are hard to understand. They just inherently are. Uh, So this is so funny. So there are people who actually wrote letters that would end up being a part of this library that we now call the Bible, the book of the Bible, even though it's multiple books. There are actual people who wrote stuff that would end up in our Bibles, and they found the Bible hard to understand. So I want to read you a quote from one of the 12. This is a big guy. He's part of Jesus' inner circle. His name's Peter. Okay, he was Peter and James, John. He's part of that inner circle with Jesus. He was called out as a fisherman. He saw the resurrected Jesus. He's a disciple. He writes a letter that would end up being uh, in what we call our scriptures or our Bible. I want to read to you what Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3.16. He says this. He, he's talking about the apostle Paul who wrote about half of the New Testament. He says, he, Paul, writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letter contains some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. So you have Peter, one of the 12, reading letters that would enter the Bible going, yeah, Paul, I don't get it. And if you've read Paul regularly, the man loves a run-on sentence, just loves it. He just does never complete a thought. It just goes on and on and on and on. So if you've ever read something from Paul, you can relate to Peter going, yeah, I read it. I don't know. I picture Peter like showing it to other people going, anybody have an idea? No, me neither. So if you're sitting here today and you've ever picked up the word of God and went, I'm confused, you can count yourself amongst like people like Peter who actually has something in published. Peter's published in the Bible, and he found it hard to understand. So be encouraged. So I just want to give you some things that you might expect to feel when you open up this to read, okay? They're going to be on the screen. I'll just read them for you. Encouraged, confused, excited, disturbed, inspired, challenged, bored, sad, conflicted, curious, dumb, equipped, comforted, affirmed, thankful, or corrected. So, if you were to ever feel any of those things while reading the Word of God, you were probably doing it right. You're probably doing it right. There are some things I've read, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I don't know that I'm old enough to read that. I'm over 18, but wow, wow, you could never make that into a movie that any of us could watch. 
So there are just some things, as you read the Bible, you just need to know that's normal. If you have felt encouraged, yes. If you felt confused, absolutely. How could you not? These are just normal, normal things. I just want to help everybody understand who's ever tried picking this up and committed to it that if you're experiencing any of those things, that's perfectly all right and totally, totally normal. All right. There are negative things, some of those up there that you may encounter as you read the Word of God, and here's what I want you to do. If you encounter like being disturbed or bored or whatever it may be, one of those, one of those ones up there, here's what I'd like you to do. Instead of like putting any judgment or shame on yourself for feeling that way as you're reading the Bible, you don't need to try to like ignore what you're feeling. You don't need to try to like, oh, I shouldn't feel that. I shouldn't like put some judgment on yourself or why am I feeling so confused? Why do I find this so boring? And then, and then you can put some judgment on yourself that could cause you just to not want to pick it up again. So what I would encourage you to do, instead of judging yourself for maybe feeling some negative or unwanted emotions, is just sit with those emotions and recognize that that's perfectly normal. And it's totally okay. And God's okay. He can handle it. You can handle it. So keep handling it. Just keep picking it back up, despite some of those things that you might feel along the way. It is totally normal to pick this up and read it and be so inspired and so encouraged. It's like the perfect verse at the perfect time. You're like, oh, my gosh, God, you are real. You are alive. Thank you. Oh, my gosh, that's so cool. I can't believe I read this on this day. That's when I needed it more than any day. And then wake up the next day, and you're like, all right, there's not enough coffee in the world that's going to help me get something out of the reading for today. That is Normal. I think it's important that we talk about that because religious environments like this can always have a tendency to lean towards like, everybody just fake it, everybody pretend like we're all just crushing it at Bible reading and feeling great about everything. And then realistically, just we're not always in that spot of just feeling super passionate about it. All right. So um, I eat at least three meals a day, mostly more than that, but at least three. And sometimes I have a meal that is just so-so. It's just okay. It's not fantastic. You know what decision I never make? To just never eat again. I never do that. I never do that. I, I will eat so-so three times a day if I have to. I'm not going with... Now we have to do the prayer and fasting thing. I'm like, uh, a so-so meal sounds pretty good if the alternative is fasting, right? You're like, three-day-old pizza pocket that's been in the microwave? That sounds delightful. So, all that to say is if you pick this up and it's just kind of like, ah, so-so, you don't have to stop eating. You don't have to start partaking. You can just wake up the next day and eat again. Just eat again. One of our desires uh, uh, for the bestseller series is that we would all grow in being regular consumers of God's Word and really seeking Him out for how we can apply it in our world. So here's what bestseller series is not. Bestseller series is not a, if you don't believe in the Bible, you better series. You, you, some of you may be here today or online, and you don't believe this is the inspired word of God. Welcome. You don't have to believe that. In fact, uh, in fact, I would tell you, I actually can't even do anything to make you believe that. So I'm not even going to try. Because the only way you're going to come to know that this is God's love letter for you, 
that this is the inspired word of God is if God's Holy Spirit inspires you to believe that. And he draws you in with his love. And he draws you in with his kindness. And he draws you in with his compassion. So I feel no pressure to convince anybody. So if you're here today and you're like, I don't believe that, that, that that's an inspired word of God. It's just man just made it up. That's totally fine. I'm not going to change your mind. I am going to pray that God changes your mind because it's such a gift from our creator to you. All right? So it's not that. And it's not a, if you are a believer, a Christian, you believe uh, the Bible is God's word, this is not a series of you better read it or else. Guilt, shame, and condemnation are horrible motivators. They are just horrible motivators. And they're not tools that God uses to capture our hearts. He's not like, how do I get Adam into my world? Shame. Let's give him some extra shame. Let's give him three doses of guilt. Let's just make him feel some heavy condemnation so he'll come running back to me. No, that is not the tools of our heavenly father. Those are the tools of our enemy. Those are the things he heaps on us. Or sometimes those are just things we put on ourselves. We put guilt on ourselves, condemnation on ourselves. I should be better. I should want this more. I should do this. Ah, I know I should read it. I know I should. I don't know. What's wrong with me? Why am I so horrible? So this isn't one of those series, but we have identified some wins in our bestseller series that as we go through this, if some of these things could happen in my life, in our life, uh, whether it all happens in these few weeks or maybe happens next year, we're fine with that. But here's some wins that we thought would be really good. An increased appetite and appreciation for God's word. That would be an awesome win for me personally and for us. If our appetite and our appreciation for the word of God would increase... Sometimes I've had to pray, especially with prayer, God, would you give me a desire to want to have the desire? Have you ever prayed that one? Sometimes I don't even just have it. I'm like, I need you to help me want a desire to want a desire. That's a perfectly acceptable prayer. You can pray that one. Uh, A win would be if we had some increased understanding that we could grow in our understanding of what this is and what it is not. Uh, An increased commitment to apply that which what we're hearing, because this isn't just a get smarter thing. This is a become more like Christ thing by obeying the things that we're reading and hearing. We'd also like some things to decrease. We would like to decrease some intimidation that can come around this thing. It can be very intimidating. You're like, okay, like, I don't really know what all these words mean or all these stories. And it, could just, it you know, was written so long ago. We would love it if our intimidation could go down. Some of us just may feel too dumb to understand it. We probably never will. None of those things are true. Those are lies. But there are things that are just hard to understand like we talked about. So we'd love to see some intimidation just go down. Uh, we'd also love to see, like I said, guilt and shame go down. That would be a huge win. Because we don't want anybody just living in continual guilt and shame for not reading this or picking this up or being one of those 50% of Christian adults that pull it out once or twice a year or never. I have been that Christian. I did not start really reading this. I grew up in a Christian home. I did not really not start reading until my early 20s when I was a young adult. And I can now recognize looking back that because I wasn't reading it, I was suffering for that. And what I mean was, I was not regularly eating of God's truth and his word that can renew my mind. So my mind was filled with a lot of lies. Lies about myself, lies about others, lies about God. So the reason why, you know, us church people can be so adamant about getting in here, and now I can look back at my younger self and be like, Adam, I really wish you'd open this, because your mind 
is just fraught with worry, fear, lies. You're not ingesting the truth. You're not taking it in. You're not believing it. My enemy was more than happy to fill in the void that I created by not, by not eating of God's word. He's like, here, eat this. Since you're not eating that, here's a lie. And I'm like, okay, just eating it. So here's what's true about just about everything that's everywhere. Uh, it's human nature to take for granted that which is most prevalent. So, for example, we do not often think about oxygen or gravity unless we're having a difficult time breathing or we're falling. Oxygen and gravity are so prevalent, we just don't think about it. The Word of God has become so prevalent, we can just not think about it. We can just ignore it to our own detriment. But it is a very natural thing, at least for this guy, to just take for granted that which is just kind of everywhere. Now that the Bible is on our phones, it's got apps, it's everywhere, right? So when we take God's word for granted, we can miss out on some powerful truths that God has for us, like the verse we read last week that I want to read to you again. This is the verse we talked about last week, Psalm 119, 105. This is one I memorized long ago because it's short. Those are my favorite ones to memorize. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. I love this verse. It is so encouraging. If you've ever found yourself in a dark place in life to know that his word can be a lamp to my feet and a guide to my path. How encouraging, how awesome is that? And here's what I thought about as I was thinking about this verse. This verse can be true while simultaneously being untrue for you and for me. So here's what I mean. This verse, I believe, because it's the word of God, is true. But it is not true for me if I don't read it and I don't believe it and I don't trust in it, if I don't even know about it. Do you see what I'm saying? It's true that it is, but if I entirely neglect it and don't even know anything about it, have never read it, don't study it, don't meditate on it, don't internalize it, or just simply don't trust in it or believe in it, it's not going to be the lamp and light that it is meant to be in my life. And that is true of so many verses in the Bible, that they can be true, but not true for me because I'm ignoring it altogether. So in each part of this series, we're going to look at a verse that the Bible kind of speaks to about itself and what it can do for you and me. So uh, my wife and I, uh, she's not here today because our HOA uh, apparently decided the money we give them was not worth plowing our roads. So they're at home. Thank you, HOA. We love you. And, um, and so they're all at home. And uh, so we do a Bible reading plan every year together, my wife and I. We read, usually read through the whole Bible in a year. It's on the Bible app, and it kind of tells us what to read, so I don't have to, like, guess or figure it out. This year, we decided to do a New Testament reading only. It's one chapter a day, which I love. It's not too much. And then by the time we get through 2024, we'll read the entire New Testament and skip the book of Numbers, which is just a bonus. So, kind of cool. Um, I know. I shouldn't say those things. The Numbers, it is terrible. Okay. All right. Numbers is or what I said is? Yeah, I don't, okay, okay, what I said, that's fair, that's fair. So my wife and I started a new reading plan, and uh, the very first verse on January 1st happened to be the verse that we're reading to today. 
And the more you read the Word of God, the more cool things like that just happen. You're like, okay, God, that's so cool. The verse I was assigned to preach on like a month ago happens to be the January 1st verse. So this is the verse we're going to read for today. And we're going to read it slowly, pausing occasionally, so we can kind of ingest it a little bit and walk through it together. So it's found in a letter called 2 Timothy 3.16. Um, and it would be one that would be really uh, worth m- considering maybe memorizing. So here's what's cool. If you've ever heard of John 3.16, which is one of the most famous verses of all time, you can already have the 3.16 memorized, right? Because you already got 3.16 from the John guy. So, like, you have that part. So you're just, I don't know how to help you with the Second Timothy part. You're going to have to figure that one out. But uh, the 3.16 part, there you go, okay? So here's what the Bible says about itself. And here's it goes. It says, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for... So God breathed, meaning like, like God breathed life. He inspired this to be written. He inspired the people who wrote it. He inspired the words that they wrote, that there's this breath of life that the first century Jew, uh, Jewish disciples who would have heard this or read this, they would have went all the way back to the book of Genesis when they heard this whole God breathed thing. Let me show you what would have popped into their head. This is found in Genesis chapter 2. This is the creation story. Here's what it says. Uh, It says, he, God, breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. So all the way in the beginning, God breathes, and Adam goes from dust to Adam, right? He's, He's flesh and blood now. He breathes, and he comes to life. So in a very similar way with the word of God, it's like God went and breathed life. That is why it's called the living word. And we're going to come back to that in two weeks, that it's the living word of God. I love that. All scripture is God breathed. And then it says it's useful. And you go, okay, well, what's it useful for? So that's going to be what we're going to talk about for the rest of the morning. So here we go. It is useful for, and the first one is, it's useful for teaching. It's useful for teaching us a right understanding of God as our heavenly father and and God's word as his epic story that points to Jesus. So all scripture, even numbers, is useful for teaching me to have a right understanding about who God is and how God's word from beginning to end is an epic story pointing to the person of Jesus, our Savior, Messiah, our healer, and our soon and coming king. Uh, when Jesus was walking around doing his ministry, he was called a rabbi which means teacher. So he had disciples who were his students. So if you're a follower of Jesus, he's our teacher as well as all these other things, Savior and all the rest. So the Bible is useful for teaching, but only to those who are willing to be taught by it. I had some amazing teachers in high school that knew what they were talking about, and they spoke a lot of good ideas, a lot of awesome truths, And it was not useful for me because I was not interested in learning. I did not care. If there would have been the expression, C's get degrees back in my day, I would have used that. I would have said it all the time. It wasn't. And that makes me sad. I really wish I would have had that. It didn't matter how good their teaching was. I wasn't interested in listening. So what they were saying was useful to anyone in that room who was willing to listen and understand. It is useful for teaching. 
The word of God is useful for teaching when it finds the right kind of soil in the heart of man or woman. Jesus told the story, the parable of the sower, where he sows these seeds, which he says is the word of God, and some of it found, found like hard pan ground. He's talking about the soil of hearts, that there's different soils of hearts, that any given day I wake up, I come to church on a Sunday, or I wake up to read one of these, I'm coming with a certain kind of soil right here that is going to largely determine how useful the Word of God is in teaching me anything. Because how, how moldable, because I wake up sometimes and I am hard-hearted. And how many of you guys know life has a way of making us hard? Because we go through hard things. A cold, apathetic, and hard heart is hard for God's word to penetrate and teach. Here's one of the things God's word is teaching me in real time I've not learned. I never appreciated the book of Psalms in my entire life until the last three years. And Psalms is always like everybody's favorite. I'm like, boo. I just skipped through it. I'm like, oh, Psalm 23, you're legit. But the rest of you, why is there so many? Psalm 119, like, come on. It's like eight pages long. So one-third of all the Psalms are lament. One-third of 150 of them, which I can't do the math because I was not interested in learning in high school. But one-third of 150 uh, are Psalms of lament that I would always skip and here's what Jesus is teaching me through his word. Adam, you have things to lament. You've just always ignored them. You've always minimized things that you have to lament. You've compared the things in your life to others and then decided, well, it's not as hard as what they're going through. So in real time, God is teaching me to lament. That there are real things that I've lost, real things that I'm going through. And I don't need to compare it to anybody else's. I don't need to minimize it or explain it away. I don't even need to feel bad to lament. It's one-third, which is a lot of 150. I was waiting for someone to just tell me the math. Somebody. 50? There you go. I should have known that. I should know that. New Aimer, New Aimer, super nerdy, put up the glasses. Stereotype, stereotype, New Aim. Public high school. <laughs> He's teaching me how to lament, that I have things to lament. There's things I just need to mourn, things that I've lost that I just need to, to mourn. So he's taking me to Psalms like Psalm 13 and Psalm 22, which are really great. If you're in a season of things to lament, open up Psalm 13, open up Psalm 22, and recognize that you are just like everybody else who's ever followed God. You have things to lament. So before we read what the Apostle Paul wrote next to Timothy about what the Bible is useful for, I just want to remind us that sometimes when we read the Word of God, we can experience encouragement and like, mm, I don't like that. This might be one of those, okay? Here he goes. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking. You're like, oh, don't like that. I like the, don't mind the teaching part. I don't want to be rebuked, though. That sounds rude. But, it, you know, every parent knows this. You go to your kids and you, you teach them, here's what is healthy and helpful. Do that. And then they don't do that. And you rebuke them. And you say, here's what you did that was not healthy and was not helpful. A good, loving parent 
will teach and they will rebuke. They will tell their child because of their love, this is really healthy and good for you if you do this. And then whenever the kid deviates to go, all right, I'm just telling you, son, I'm just telling you, daughter, this isn't good or healthy for you. To which, how many of our kids really believe us when we tell them that? How much did I believe my parents? Not much. But they were, as I get older, my parents get smarter. Have you heard that one? Yeah, my parents have gotten smarter as I've gotten older. I'm like, oh, they are pretty good people. They're not too bad. (laughs) Maybe my sister wasn't their favorite. Maybe they liked me too. See, the the scriptures contain, contain encouragement and warning, just like a loving parent does. And scripture is useful for exposing errors in someone's teaching or in our own thinking. The scriptures is very profitable for that. It's useful for correcting us when we are in sin or in error. So I'm a big baseball fan, and uh, error is a very common term. Infielder tries to field the ball. They don't do it. They throw a bad throw. It's called an error. And if a, a player commits an error, a good coach will go to them and go, okay, here's what you did that led to that error. And why does he do that? A good coach It's because he cares about that player, he cares about that team, and he cares about what's happening on the field. And our Heavenly Father cares about us, and he cares about what's happening on this field called earth. He cares about us and everyone around us. And my errors hurt others. My errors hurt me. And so God uses his word to not only teach me and show me, Adam, this is what is healthy and helpful, but Adam, here's what you're doing and thinking that's actually not healthy or helpful for you and those that have to be in your presence. One of the ways that uh, beautiful and uncomfortable ways God is rebuking me is how I see people that are hard to love. Even in my verse I read this morning in my... uh, regular Bible reading, it's Jesus going, hey, if you love people that just love you, what credit do you get for that? It's like, dang it, nothing? We get nothing for that? He's like, everybody does that. Everybody loves everybody that loves them. Everybody loves people that are easy to love. And then he like gives a list of people that are hard to love. And he's like, yeah, I love those people. And you're like, oh my gosh. Whew. So I want to read you a verse that Jesus is using to kind of go rebuke me when I'm starting to get self-righteous. It's found in the Gospel of Luke. And this is a recording of Jesus. He says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. They're like, oh, 21 days of prayer and fasting. Do I have to do that last verse? Like pray for those people? He's like, yeah, that's what you got to do. He rebukes me with his word. And it actually makes me a safer person to be around. It's actually a safe, I'm, the, my world around me becomes safer if I take this serious and take his word serious and apply this to love my enemies, to pray for them. To not only pray that whatever's going on in their life, that God could, could work all that out, but even the prayer of like, and if you want to use me somehow to bless them, then here I am. Oh, it's so painful, so painful to take Jesus serious at his words. So that's a way he's rebuking me. It's useful for teaching and rebuking. So 
it just gets more uncomfortable. He's kind of ratcheting it up. So we're just going to keep going. All right. So he says, all scripture is God breathing, useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting. You're like, oh, another one of those kind of parent words. I'm an adult now. He's our heavenly father. You're still his kid. He's still parenting you. He's still parenting me. So he corrects us. He lets us know when we're wandering off the path, much like a sign if we're on a hike in Zion or Moab. is like, yeah, like, don't go that way. Imagine learning how to drive for the first time, and there are literally on the freeways, highways, streets, and neighborhoods no signs or mileage markers anywhere. It'd be like, oh, this is not awesome for me. There's nothing. Where am I? Where's the cities? How far am I away from this or that? What's the mile per hour? I have no idea what's going on around here. So Jesus puts up signs to correct us. Don't go this way down this path. Stay on this trail. So if teaching shows us what path to take, rebuking shows us where we've gotten off the path, And then correcting shows us how to get back on it. I kind of think of like, I let Siri guide me everywhere. I don't know what I'm doing out there on the roads. I can't find anything. And so I'm like, Siri, take me here. And so like I'm driving, but I don't understand feet very well. So it'll be like 800 feet, turn. I'm like, I don't know 800 feet. I know yards because that's what a football field is made out of. So if you tell me to turn in 10 yards, I can do that. I can visualize that. I know the size of an end zone. I don't know how 800 feet is. I don't have a field of 800 feet that I play on with my friends. So I will inevitably be driving and blow right past the 800 feet. And then Siri's like redirecting. I'm like, dang it. Make a U-turn. I'm like, ah. And I feel like that's like that correction that the Holy Spirit wants to do in my life, in our lives, is like, Adam, you missed it. Rerouting, rerouting. And sometimes I'm just like, forget it. I'm going down this path. Forge my own path. But I love how loving God is to want to correct me, to want to show me how I can get back on the path. I love this. Just a little bit of a nicer word coming next. All Scripture is God-breed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. I like training. I like to work out. Training in righteousness. Training helps us know how to stay on the path once we've gotten back on it. So he teaches us, goes, this is the path to be on. Then he rebukes us, you've gotten off the path. Then he corrects us, go back here, redirect, and then we're back on it. He trains us, this is how you stay on it. I love that it's useful for all of that because I am prone to wander. I am prone to get filled with pride and stubbornness. I am prone to make decisions out of fear. I love what Rick Warren, he just, uh, pastor he, in California, he, he, he said it this way. He just, I love this quote. He says, the Bible shows you the path to walk on. It shows you where you got off the path. It shows you how to get back on the path, and it shows you how to stay on the path. I love that. It's useful for all of that. And then it gets to the why. Why is it useful? I love the why. Parents, whenever you can include the why with your kids, your teenagers will appreciate it. 
even if they ultimately still don't like the decision, maybe they can intellectually understand at least where you're coming from, that it's just not what you want from them, the why you want it. And the Bible gives us the why. You got to dig for it. You got to look for it. But it has a why. And it gives us to us in this verse. And it says in verse 17, it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God, us, followers of Jesus of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is why it's useful. This is why it teaches. This is why it corrects. This is why it rebukes. This is why it trains. So that Adam, so that you can be thoroughly equipped. I'm like, oh, I want to be thoroughly equipped for every good work, everything that God calls me to. I don't like feeling not equipped for those things. He's like, my word is useful for that. I want to be thorough. Imagine like if you had all the tools accessible to you for your home project. You would feel thoroughly equipped. Imagine if you had all the art supplies you needed for whatever art piece you were making. You would feel thoroughly equipped. Imagine if you had all the disaster supplies you would need in case anything happened in Utah. You would feel thoroughly equipped. If something happened, you'd be ready to go. And I love that what the Word of God is saying is that we can be thoroughly equipped with what we need to get through what we're going through, to walk through whatever it is we find ourselves in for every good work. See, the point of the Bible is not to make us smarter and is not to help us win an argument or a debate. It is not, we don't read the Bible to assuage our guilt and get God off our back. We partake of the word of God so that it can correct us, train us, teach us, rebuke us, so that we can be thoroughly equipped so that we can go out and do and share his love in our world, including to those who are hard to love. And, and, and just note on that, I am often the one that's hard to love. You are often the one that's hard to love. And someone's trying to let the word of God be useful in their life to help them love you. Imagine having all the training, teaching, correcting, and rebuking you would need in real time to be able to go through whatever you're going through. That's what the Bible is offering us. What does your Bible, your, micro, your microwave, and uh, the features on your phone all have in common? They are useful for those who use them. And they are not useful for anyone who is not using them. If you don't know your Apple Watch can be a flashlight, that is not useful for you. If you didn't know that, it's really cool. <laughs> you should use it for that. You should buy it just for the flashlight part. If you had a friend who worked out once a week for 45 minutes and was discouraged for the lack of, of gain that they're seeing in their physique, you wouldn't be confused as to why. You'd be like, uh, <laughs> I need to explain to you how this works. <laughs> if you had a friend who was dating someone, but they only talked for about 45 minutes on the weekends, you wouldn't be shocked for any lack of connection or intimacy they're experiencing. You'd be like, uh, yeah, I get it. And in a very similar way, with our Heavenly Father, our Creator, if it comes down to like 45 minutes once a week or twice a month on a Sunday, we should probably expect similar results in our walk with Jesus that we would if we went to the gym once a week for 45 minutes. 
Some of you, right when I said that, you already started to feel guilt. I just want you to know that's from your enemy. I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty right now. I just want us to go into it eyes wide open because some of you might be confused around why there's no traction in your walk. And I've had those seasons too. And I want to encourage you, as hard as this may be to understand at times, to keep eating it. And even when it's just so-so, keep eating it. Just commit to it. And when you fail and you don't read for a week and you don't read for a month, that's okay. You don't have to condemn yourself. You don't have to make yourself out to be a horrible person or a bad Christian. No. That is normal to just miss it and, and, and lose sight of it and forget about it. That's okay, but you can come back. And your Heavenly Father's welcoming you like this. You don't have to beat yourself up before you come back. You can just open up His Word guilt-free. He's not a Heavenly Father who's like, oh, now you want to read because you're in crisis? Oh, now you come to me? He's not like that. Now, humans are like that. We can be like that towards one another. Maybe your father was like that to you. Our Heavenly Father is not like that. He's just different. And so he wants to teach us rightly about him so that we can go boldly to him. When we haven't read it, when we haven't prayed, when we broke our fast on Tuesday, whatever it may be. The Word of God is useful. So it would be useful for us to get used to being in his Word. That would be really useful for us. That would actually be a very nice thing for us to do to ourselves in 2024. It would be very useful for us to get used to being in his word, reading it, meditating on it, letting it grow us. In a sense, when we neglect this, in a sense, we're neglecting ourselves. We're neglecting our own encouragement. We're neglecting our own training. And why would we do that to ourselves? We deserve to treat ourselves better than that. I think so. Ignoring something that is so useful for us is just not nice to us. Have you ever noticed you, we're not just not nice to other people. We're not nice to us sometimes. We're mean to ourselves. And I just think when something is so useful, it is not a very nice thing for me to ignore it to my own detriment. So let's get practical. I'm going to put up a slide again for the Bible. You can join us on Bible.com. This may just be something that could be really helpful for you to have accountability. It's kind of not quite like going to the gym with friends, but almost. You know, we're in a group. We're going to post verses there daily that you can read and meditate on. So you can do that. You can take a picture of that if you need to. Here's what you can also do. Ask God, which of these do you maybe need more than the others in your life? Which aspect of God's word and the usefulness of it do you maybe need more? Is it his teaching? Is it his rebuking? Is it his correcting? Is it his training? It could be all of the above. But when the word of God is doing what is intended to do, it does all of that. If it only encourages you and never corrects you, something's amiss. If it only corrects you and never encourages you, something's amiss. So maybe... Maybe today's the day where your prayer or my prayer is to ask God to increase our appetite for God's word, that he would give us a hunger and a thirst for his word. Maybe your prayer today just simply needs to be asking God to remove the guilt and shame you feel around having no appetite for his word. If you're here today and you go, I just am not motivated, I have no appetite, and you feel bad because of that, maybe it's just going, God, 
Would you help lift this guilt and shame that I have on myself? Maybe um, you're going to find that you need to pray this prayer and ask God just to give you some grace when you don't read it and don't pick it up for a week or month. Maybe that's your prayer. God, would you just help me to experience your grace because right now I want to beat myself up. Maybe it's time where you just pray and ask God to change your attitude around reading the Word of God from I have to to I get to. Maybe that's the prayer. You just go, God, would you just change my attitude? I have this weird thought that it's a have-to thing. It's a have-to thing. It's a have-to thing. It's a get-to thing. And that's hard to make that switch. But by His Holy Spirit, He can change our mind. He can renew it. He can help us go, okay, this isn't a guilt have-to thing. This is a, oh, I get-to. That's so exciting. Maybe it's time to identify and deal with the lies that you believe that prevents you from opening this. Maybe you just need to sit with those lies that you've internalized and believed about yourself and just spend time with God, letting him heal those things in your life. And lastly, I want to speak to a specific group of people. Maybe some of you are here and you just need to love yourself enough to not let someone else's misuse of this in your life cause you to not use it. It is a very real thing that this has been wielded in ways that there are things that are done in the name of God that have nothing to do with God. And some of you have been on the receiving end of that. Don't let someone who hurt you keep hurting you by keeping you from digging into this thing. Don't let someone that misused this keep you from using it. Let God redeem that. Let him touch that part of your heart. That's not easy, and church pain is a specific kind of pain that's just different. And it can go deep. And if you've been on the receiving end of that, you know how deep that can cut. And it's going to our, our healer, our wonderful counselor. It could be booking an appointment with an actual counselor and going, I need healing. Because I come to this and I just can't get past the guilt, shame, condemnation, and judgment that surrounds this. One of the things I want to do is uh, we, we want to give away a Bible every week. If you're here today and, and uh, uh, you would like to have one, um, um, I'd like to give you one. Because anybody just raise your hand? Uh, just not at the same time because then I have to pick. So luckily, okay, we have one right back here. Sorry, right back there with the hat on. Hey, do you mind coming on up, buddy, with the hat? And you can have this one. Thank you. That being said, if you're here today and you need a Bible, I have more. I didn't forget that. I just forgot the chili at home. I remember the Bibles. Um, would you come find me if you need a Bible? I'm going to get you one. Come find me after service if you still need one. Okay. Um, I want to show you another slide that we showed before because this may be a practical step. Again, we're going to have people gathering throughout the week for an hour to pray. You can come and, and, and pray with them. You can ask them to pray over you. You might even have a chance to pray over somebody else. It could just be a really beautiful thing. So take a look at the days and times and the, which campus, because we have two campuses, and, uh, and, and you can join us for that. That would be awesome. So I want to invite our prayer teams up as we get ready to close. I want to just thank you guys. Uh, for Go ahead, prayer teams. Come on up. Uh, I want to thank you for being here. Thank you for braving the snow. I wasn't sure what today was going to look like. Thank you for, for coming today and gathering. And I want to pray over us. So would you stand with me as we get ready to close in prayer? I want to thank the Lord for how kind and good he is. <laughs> as I was going to dig for a Bible, I found my first Bible that I ever had. I think this is the first one. 
It's real fake leather. And uh, it's got little kid stickers on the inside. You probably can't see that. For some reason, there's a car, like a Volkswagen car. I'm not quite sure why that is there. Now my Bibles have these stickers in them. No, you can't. Let's pray. And if you could use some more prayer, would you just hang out afterwards and let uh, one of our friends pray for you? Holy Spirit, we come and invite you to renew our minds, to change our hearts, to increase our appetites, give us a hunger for your word, decrease our shame, decrease our guilt, decrease our condemnation. May we come boldly to the throne of God. May we come boldly to your word, and may we allow it to be useful in our lives to teach us and correct us and rebuke us and train us so that we can be thoroughly equipped for the hard things that we're going to go through and the difficult things you're going to call us to, because you're going to call us to take steps of faith that make us scared and to know that we're thoroughly equipped, not just because of what you've given us, but because you walk with us through all of those things. So Holy Spirit, Renew our minds. Get, increase our appetites for you. Uh, those that have maybe never considered praying and fasting every day for 21 days, this would be the start of a dramatically new them, a dramatically new discipline in their life, Lord God. Well, I love you. I thank you for this time we have uh, to gather today. We give you all praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, friends. Have a wonderful Sunday.